Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Ghibli Attack the podcast that every now and then plays video games that have very little to do with the world's greatest animation studio, Studio Ghibli. I'm Michael Leader, and I've played the lot of them. And I'm Jake Cunningham, and I know that it's dangerous to go alone. So join us on our quest into the glorious world of The Legend of Zelda. Hi, Jake. Hello, Michael. And hello, Steph. Hello, Michael. So this is a bit of a strange bonus type episode. Jake, can you tell me what are we talking about today and why? So we are talking about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is a video game. And it is definitely not a film made by Studio Ghibli. And we have tried to come up with tenuous links that might allow us to propose some kind of reason to our listeners as to why we might want to do this episode but really the reason is that we just kind of wanted to do it isn't it Steph? Pretty much yeah I think uh, we both kind of started playing it at the same time Um, so a lot of kind of conversations had about where to find what shrine or how to cook certain things so it seems like it's been with us for a long time um but also i don't know maybe a few ghibli references and links that we could kind of fit together yeah i think so and i mean you first cracked this game open on the flight back from japan where we went on our pilgrimage for studio ghibli so i feel like this game and our own adventure have been forever entwined in some way. Yeah, it does kind of feel like that. I mean, I, I was basically saving starting this game uh, until I had a solid kind of 10 hours or so to just sit with nothing else going on. And a plane journey back from Japan seemed like the perfect time to do that. Um, but it does feel like it has a kind of special connection in that way now. You've certainly convinced me. Yeah, this is definitely connected with Ghibli Tech in some way. We need to talk about Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I suppose there may be many listeners out there who don't know what Zelda is, but there are, it feels like a gaming franchise that crosses over a lot with what people love about Ghibli. I think we should have some context up top. We're going to format it like a normal episode. Maybe we'll discuss some contextual info first before diving in. Does that sound about right to you, Jake? Absolutely. But I think before we go into the context of Nintendo and the Zelda franchise, it'd be great to get 
like our own personal context about where we are with video games and and this series starting with myself the last games console that i bought prior to the nintendo switch that i got in 2019 was a playstation 2 in 2001 and my video game usage from that year to now has pretty much been exclusively fifa most of which was played at other people's houses during my years at university but now i am fully converted and i love this game and i mean i've got not many other things to compare it to but i would have to say that it's surely one of the greatest video games ever created steph what's your relationship with video games i've always kind of played them as a social thing so a lot of kind of couch co-op games um i had a playstation one that i think still works um and a wii which obviously is like built for kind of two-player four-player games um so up until i got a switch um i was basically only playing kind of driving games um things that you can just play with a lot of people so i hadn't really considered buying something that a lot of the games are one player i know like the switch has kind of got more of that social aspect to it because of the controls that can kind of click on and off but um so i kind of um denied about about getting that for ages um but then yeah it's kind of the thing i've spent the most time playing ever so i think it's been worth it (laughs) It certainly sounds it. I'm so glad this game has had such an impression on the two of you. And it makes me feel ashamed that out of the three of us, I'm the one that hasn't completed the game. I got the game when I got my Switch a couple of years ago, and I sunk 100 hours into it. But it's such a huge game that you could easily do that and then never finish it, not see everything, not do everything. Although now it sounds like, Jake, at least you've done everything you can with the game. Um, I suppose a quick... Gosh, I don't know how to sum up my relationship and history with video games succinctly um i'm old compared to you two so my first console was the original <laughs> nintendo entertainment system in the late 80s um followed by the mega drive um, we had a bit of a dalliance with the amiga uh, and then straight through all the consoles up till now but my relationship with zelda i think would have started uh, as with a lot of people of a certain age with um link to the past the super nintendo edition of the game or Zelda 3 as kids at the time called it because it was the third in the franchise Um, however I had a period when I was at university a late teenager where I became obsessed with retro games and I bought loads of cheap old consoles and old cartridges and it coincided with the rise of the Wii Virtual Console where they put up a lot of the old games and that was when I had a real crash course in lots of the games I missed first time round um but yeah i could go on for a long time about video games and what i like about this episode is that we're going to give the space for you to you two to go on for a long time about a certain video game we should probably do that soon but i think first jake you wanted me to go into a bit more detail on zelda yes uh so you just mentioned kind of three decades of your own personal relationship to this franchise in a way um something that i don't have at all any connection to zelda other than knowing 
about angry men on the internet who complain when people say that Zelda is the main character. That was my one reference point. Um, but I would love to get, and this is kind of the, the ultimate version of our entire podcast format, um, and is almost like asking you to explain all of Studio Ghibli with The Wind Rises as a reference point. Can you, ex- <laughs> can you please explain to me in maybe the next five or six minutes, Nintendo and Zelda? Nintendo and Zelda? Oh gosh, right, okay. Tell me if I'm wandering off the point at any, at any stage here and pull me back on topic. So Zelda has always been integral to what Nintendo offers games as a medium. Nintendo have been slammed over the years for um, not being very good for their third-party games on their platforms, but but that just means that their original properties like Mario and Zelda and Metroid are just so good. As I said, um, that Zelda has been going for God thirty-five years now. The first instalment was on the the first Nintendo console, the NES. Um, actually, it was on the Famicom Disk System in in Japan. We saw a couple of those when we went around Super Potato um, in in Tokyo. You did not know what you, what I was looking at and geeking out over. It was one Absolutely of those. not. Um, <laughs> but um, it was one of the the cornerstones of the uh, early success of Nintendo and every Nintendo console, both handheld and uh, big screen, uh, would have at least one or two installments in the Zelda franchise very quickly that first game um, set a few design fundamentals that have reappeared over the years the idea of there being the princess Zelda and the hero Link who'd be this mute protagonist that would over the course of the adventure discover new abilities new items he'd explore an overworld but then find dungeons and caves within that overworld uh, that would lead to puzzles and beasties and special power-ups that would then further the story i'd like to quote from a, an anecdote related to shigeru miyamoto who is um i think we could say that he is the hayao miyazaki of nintendo um that's not being patronizing because apparently they're very close friends but he was the ideas engine he created both mario and zelda and then had his hand in almost everything since he um is gosh an absolute icon to gamers of a certain type and certain stripes and certain generation so there's a fantastic book on nintendo's early console years written by david chef who i only realized when i picked up the book off the shelf for the first time in years recently um he's the david chef who is the dad in beautiful boy which is the drug issues failed awards bait drama starring Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet that came out a couple of years ago. Anyway, before any of that, his son wasn't addicted to drugs. He was addicted to Nintendo. And David Sheff, who was a Rolling Stone entertainment journalist, wrote the you know, the, the, the foundation text in English language, at least, on, on Nintendo's rise, rise to prominence. It's called Game Over. That's out of print now. But if, there's a the great thing is that he had access to all of the Nintendo execs and developers in Japan. And he interviewed Shigeru Miyamoto. And I'd like to just quote from an excerpt from the book that's currently on the Rolling Stone website. So it's actually one of the articles that was adapted into the book later on down the line. And I think as I read this out, 
you might see some of the similar inspirations from the landscape or the culture of Japan that went into Zelda that we have talked about going into some of Ghibli's films. Shigeru Miyamoto remembers the maze of rooms in the paper and cedar home of his childhood. Sliding shoji screens opened up onto hallways and what seemed to be a castle full of hidden rooms. The house was in the countryside outside Kyoto, in the town of Sonobi, where his parents and grandparents had also been born. He spent much of his youth fishing in a nearby river, walking on the banks of a sodden rice field, rolling down hillsides. There was no television in his home. Miyamoto drew and painted, and he made elaborate puppets with which he presented his own fanciful shows. After school, he explored hillsides and creek beds and small canyons. The first time he discovered a cave, he was too frightened to venture inside. He returned several times before he had the courage to explore it. Then, lugging a homemade lantern, he progressed deeper and deeper inside until he came to a small hole that led to another cave. Breathing deeply, his heart pounding, he climbed through it. Miyamoto first captured these sensations of wonder and fear in The Legend of Zelda, and this is a direct quote now from Miyamoto. The spirit of the state of mind when one kid enters a cave alone must be realized in the game, he says. Going in, he must feel the cold air around him. He must discover a branch off to one side and decide whether to explore it or not. Sometimes he loses his way. And that that um, point that Miyamoto makes about losing your way was really important to him in making this game because he'd say when he explored the countryside around his parents' and grandparents' houses, he didn't have a map. So he had to figure out the landscape for himself, maybe draw his <laughs> own map. And it's a oft-told anecdote for many gamers from the mid-80s that you were just dropped into the overworld of Legend of Zelda and just let let loose. You'd explore it for yourself. The manual didn't come with a map, so you, people were drawing their own maps. You'd have magazines where they'd be printing maps for people to use. And I know that maps are really important to your view of Ghibli, Jake. Which I, So I thought that was quite a nice thing to highlight there. Absolutely, yeah. Well, if, if listeners haven't mentioned it before, that was uh, a great idea from Toshio Suzuki saying that for a film, you should be able to draw a map of that world that it exists in, even if you don't use every corner of it. But to fully realise something, you must first have that that map of it, even if you're not going to go to every corner. And I think that is something that unites all the Zelda games, or at least all the major ones. You have this, perhaps not living and breathing in the way that we think of them now in terms of open world games, but certainly fleshed out worlds with different areas, different terrains, different climates, characters and creatures. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Okay, so that's really enough from me wanging on about Zelda. But Jake, big question up top. Breath of the Wild or FIFA? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, Michael, how could you? I mean, I don't see... Link. I mean, I know he's got lots of wonderful outfits, particularly in this game, but I've never seen him in a Chelsea kit. Um, All no, I need to do is issue some downloadable content with a Chelsea kit, and you'll be happy. There you go. I, I will. No, um, I'll I'll be brave enough to say it. Uh, I I think this game is is better than FIFA. St- Steph, what do I think? It's better than FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've played FIFA about once in my life, so I'm going to have to say Zelda is definitely better than FIFA. Uh... <laughs> so, Steph, Michael has mentioned uh, decades worth of uh, lore and different consoles and different narratives and this big spider web. And I already said that uh, I was concerned that I wasn't getting any of that. And luckily, I actually didn't need to be. Um, and I think that takes us right to the start of this game. As Michael said, this is the first Zelda game that so many people uh, would have been playing. What is it like when you first crack it open, those first moments? Yeah, the main thing that I kind of remember is this, you wake up in this shrine, you don't really have anything. Um, I think you, you can grab a stick or something to kind of get out of the shrine. Yeah, you exit this cave and you kind of are walking around and suddenly you walk to the edge of the cliff that you're on and you just get this amazing view all these kind of blues greens like mountains in the distance and this kind of breath of the wild title comes up in the corner and I feel like you just get this kind of swell of music and it's like a breath of fresh air it's like you just kind of feel like you're ready for this new adventure and I don't think you need to have played a lot of the older games to still feel that feeling yeah and and I think that's kind of a statement of intent suddenly you you see that world and it's them saying this is new we have changed this look at all of this stuff that is ahead of you and it is humongous and what's brilliant about when you first start uh, is that that map that little gps that's in the bottom right hand corner of your screen is totally black And this goes back to exploring the fields, exploring the caves 40 years ago, that the first thing that you need to do, if you want to, I suppose, it was the first thing that I chose to do, was just explore and start filling up that map. Because the more you explore, the more your map fills. And I think that is just fantastic. And what what a great objective to have. The best thing about this game for me was kind of the midsection of my playing time where I'd kind of beaten the key bosses that I need to and then I spent I would probably say 100 hours just going around and seeing what was about 
Yeah, I think it's so much bigger than I expected as well, because when you start, you're on that kind of plateau bit where you do a few shrines, you pick up a few kind of skills and it's kind of like the tutorial section of the game where it tells you kind of everything you need to know to play the rest of the game. When I kind of uncovered that little section of the map, I was thinking, oh, this is this is huge. This is great. And then after that, it's like, oh, you can leave the plateau now and you can go into the rest of the world. And that just kind of blew my mind a bit of like, oh, it's actually enormous. This little section that you start off in that seems so big when you start playing is actually this tiny kind of coin sized <laughs> bit of map in comparison to the rest of it. It's just, yeah. And I think that all the exploring, yeah, I definitely did that. Um, I'm really bad at fighting levels and fighting big bosses in games and I kind of avoid it. So I spent a lot of the first section of my playing time just wandering around and climbing up hills just because you can, because you can just climb literally anything you want to. Um, but I've definitely, yeah, had a lot, of, a lot of time in that just kind of thinking, ah, oh, that mountain looks good. I'll go and see what's on top of that type thing. Right. <laughs> that was like such an important section of playing what? the game. And as I understand this, Michael, um, climbing for Zelda is totally new. Well, certainly that free roaming aspect. Zelda was, it was, had a bit of a holdover from the fact that it used to be this 2D top-down experience where really you were only just going in the up, down, left, right. You couldn't jump in any of the major Zelda games until now. There were side-scrolling sections in Link's Awakening. I'm sure nerds are going to tweet us with that. But yeah, the the idea that you could roam freely, jump off ledges, climb up trees, I mean, because you could always climb up trees, but then climb up the mountains behind the trees. It, it's almost flipping on its head the expectations you have playing an older Zelda game where you'd have some rough terrain or a high hilltop in the, in the background and you'd think, oh, I can't possibly go there because the developers don't have the the computing power to make a world that big. But then in this game, no, you can. You can stare off onto a horizon and if you get the right gust of wind underneath your sails, you can float off to an island in the distance. Well, and that's really remarkable, I thought, about this game. And I... I'm maybe getting this wrong, uh, and it it might have been you that told me this that there was part of the goal of the design was that when you get to the top of a mountain or a tree or or any high point when you tilt the camera to look into the horizon that wherever you are in the game there's always going to be something in the horizon or in that landscape really? that kind of gives you a little glint in your eye that thinks that is where this adventure needs to go and there, there is always that next stepping stone to carry you on and doesn't that go all the way back to that quote from Miyamoto about just the, the thrill of exploration feeling lost but then knowing you want to get to that next place absolutely and I think we should maybe try and wrestle this into Studio Ghibli territory or at least Ghibliotech territory and maybe bring in some of the conversations that we've had or some of the reference points and try and figure out maybe why we why we became so connected to this. And I think there is some some imagery here that to me seems really lifted from Ghibli or inspired by it. Um, Steph, I don't know whether you found that at all. Yeah, definitely. I think the main one that I think of 
is with some of the kind of creatures like the Lord of the Mountain, very Princess Mononoke, Spirit of the Forest kind of vibe. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot of character design and kind of mythical characters that feel very Ghibli. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a bit of extra info from the Lord of the Mountain, um, which kind of goes back into more Nintendo history, uh, that it was on Satori Mountain within Breath of the Wild. And I was not aware of this, that this was a reference to anything. But Michael, there's actually some some history behind that. Well, it's it, not so much history. It's just a plain tribute to former big man at Nintendo, Satoru Iwata, who um, died a couple of years ago, who was a developer in his time, but then became you know part of the suited up and you know uh, white collar folks that you'd see at expos. He used to host the Nintendo Direct videos showcasing upcoming games, and he was really beloved of the game community and also the development community. So it's quite sweet that there is that reference in there. Yeah, and like really lovely that they kind of place him as the Lord of the Mountain. And you think about the spirit of the forest in Princess Mononoke and the, these things are very similar in their visuals and what the kind of spirit of the, the forest does and what that represents. And it's very sweet. Um, and that's just one of a few bits of Ghibli imagery that I saw in there as well. Um, like Ashitaka's Curse, um, you know, that, that kind of wriggly, oily, um, I don't know, goop <laughs> that surrounds his, his arm and the wild boar. Again, in Mononoke, I think the, the kind of cursed structures that Ganon creates in this and the kind of ooze around the landscape, they felt really similar to me. Uh, the dragon Nadra and Haku in Spirited Away when he's in his dragon form. And of course, how could we forget lovely green hills and lovely blue skies? <laughs> And more so than any of these kind of fantasy elements, it's the little bits of magic in the everyday that this game has that made me feel like it was connected to my experiences and my love of Ghibli. And I think it reminded me of something that Susan Napier says in her book, Miyazaki World, and what, what makes Miyazaki World, and it's that combination of the human the natural and the supernatural and the fact that in this game i can just take half an hour whilst there is a dragon flying by me in the background and there's a demon tackling a castle but i'm just going to take this moment to cook and i'm just going to see what what ingredients i've foraged along the way what mushrooms what bird thighs what Hylian rice and what can I can cut and that that feels at times as important as any narrative. And it, it creates those moments where it, it, it's in everything. It's in the sound design. It's in the little jingles that play when you're cooking. It just creates this moment of triumph within something so mundane. And it's, it, but then also that <laughs> the bad cooking theme with the, <laughs> crash bang wallop sound effects is so delightful too and that just shows there is a kinship there with how ghibli create make makes such magic within the stirring of a spoon in a mug in ponyo can can make that honey tea scene 
so transporting. I, I find it so fascinating that you're picking up on all this stuff, Jake, because I, I'm loath to really draw too many comparisons. Shigeru Miyamoto is a little younger than uh, Miyazaki. Uh, Miyamoto's in his late 60s, so it's not it's not like he could have been inspired much by uh, Miyazaki's films. Of course, the first Zelda would have come out around the same time as Castle in the Sky. But you can see so much within the landscape of Breath of the Wild that we can see as familiar something clearly in the water that Miyazaki and Miyamoto are drinking. The post-industrial, post-apocalyptic landscape looks very similar to elements of Naushka, elements of Castle in the Sky. Uh, the, the, the idea of nature reclaiming land that was once raised by industry is all there. But I find it fascinating. Miyamoto um, is of a certain generation and background where many of his influences aren't necessarily Japanese, they're Western. Um, he talks about, I think he's a fan of Lord of the Rings, as me- as many mm-hmm. men of his generation are. But I wanted to ask you <laughs> on microphone, Jake and Steph, he's on record saying, he's, he's said what his, uh, Miyamoto's favourite film of all time is. And I wonder if you'd like to take a stab in the dark to what it is. So based on what you just said, is it a Western film? Western as in from the West. It's not, doesn't star John Wayne. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and is it an adventure? It is an adventure. Is it Indiana Jones? It is. <laughs> His favourite film of all time is Raiders of the Lost Ark. And suddenly all of the puzzles with rolling boulders make sense. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. See, me and this guy, we're connected, you know. <laughs> Indiana Jones is ultimately where this podcast gets to. We, we give it enough time. Every episode comes back to Indy eventually. Well, other than Indiana Jones, there is so much other stuff that we could go into about this game that I love. Like the music throughout, like I, I queue up the Breath of the Wild soundtrack all the time now just when I need to chill out. And there's some lovely mixes on YouTube that are about six hours long. But in particular, the music in Zora's Domain, uh, which is the water region, which is instantly calming and dreamlike and lovely. Um, And I don't know if there is a more soothing sound than the little jingle that you get when you arrive at a stable. Hmm. And, And I think what's really impressive is that it does manage to translate a feeling of home and comfort and stability in a, in a virtual world so well that you might have gone off and fought the Yiga clan and then you're up on a mountain and you need to kind of fly all the way back down but then you get to a stable and you just have that moment of pause and you hear that bit of music and you may not have You've obviously not gone through anything physically yourself, but it is, it so has a hold on you as you're playing it that you do need that moment to have a breath. I think they have placed all of the villages that you visit so well as well because you spend all this time kind of wandering about. I mean, I barely stuck to a path that was written on the map. Like I had to kind of actually force myself to go on a path quite a lot of the time. Um, So you spend all your time kind of wandering around with these fields and swamps and stuff. And then you get onto one of the paths. You kind of follow it for a while. You see like 
the tip of Rito village in the distance and you think oh what is that and then you kind of get to it and it just kind of appears before you you feel like a weary traveler we, we should maybe mention the the story of this game um so Steph as you mentioned we we start with Link um like rocking a really sweet pair of boxer trunks uh for, <laughs> for that opening scene a bold choice um but over the kind of the course of the story as it were he we have to visit kind of four corners of the map um, and defeat some key bosses there, uh, which so that they can start their weapon that all kind of focus in on the main boss, Ganon, who is in the middle of it, who I didn't know was a villain from all of the games prior. Um, and I did all of those at the start of my gameplay, really. Um, and that left me with the bulk, as I mentioned in the middle, uh, just exploring and completing shrines. And I actually found myself not wanting to go to Ganon because I'd reached a point where I did not want the game to end. But but it, but it had to. Um, and, I, and I eventually did commit to going to the castle. And Steph, what did you make of the kind of, I don't know, final couple of percentages of your gameplay? Uh, well, I'd kind of snuck into the castle a couple of times before just to, I think one of the side quests is like, go to the castle and find some cookbooks or something so you can make cake for a, a random guy <laughs> at one of the stables. So i kind of gone there before, so I kind of knew what to expect. Um, and then... Yeah, I had the kind of a similar feeling of I didn't want the game to end. But then at one point I was just like, it's time. It's time to face Ganon. But yeah, like the, the actual castle is terrifying because it's full of all the um, the guardians and stuff. Um, and I lost so many hearts doing just like trying to get up to the Ganon level. <laughs> um, but then when you get to Ganon, it's really easy it's like surprisingly easy, especially if you've done all this stuff before. But I guess it's not supposed to be this kind of big grueling battle because what you lack in that you make up for in just this like amazing emotional swell in the finale of the story. You get this kind of, you fight Ganon, you have this amazing bit where you're on your horse just kind of shooting him with arrows and like trying to free Zelda and then you get this yeah this amazing kind of climax that I think maybe you wouldn't get if you were just constantly trying to hit him with arrows and stuff and it took ages I don't know how you felt about it Jake yeah I, I think if I were to pick a single flaw in this otherwise perfect game it would be that but the culmination of the story that you mentioned I really loved because there is a quest that's ongoing throughout the game um, where Link, Link has amnesia and he is recovering memories throughout the game about what happened 100 years ago that led to Ganon taking over the world. And memory is, is really key to everything that happens in it. And I absolutely loved that you defeat Ganon and finally, kind of his hole on the world and all this icky goop <laughs> that's covering everything kind of disappears. Um, 
And then we finally see Zelda in the present, not in a memory. And she turns to Link and says, do you remember? And then that, then it ends. And I thought that is utterly magic. What a wonderful thing for this to go through. That ultimately you go through this massive world and this huge adventure and all of these things that you had to kill and all the trauma you had to go through. And what you are searching for at the end of that is just this one personal connection with someone that you love. I think that's brilliant. And then it had to go and be Return of the King and do 16 different endings after that. Um, <laughs> but in that moment, I was in awe. But you need to see the champions at the end. <laughs> yeah, I never thought that I would cry at the end of a video game, but here we are. Um, I think, yeah, it's just that kind of, you spend like 100, 150 hours in this world with all the people. And then, yeah, you get that kind of big emotional ending because um, yeah at the end of the day it is kind of about the people and the characters rather than it being about like just fighting Ganon like that's the reason behind it I think yeah but I'll tell you what Michael took 165 hours to do this a game of FIFA makes me cry in about eight minutes <laughs> So a question to both of you to, to wrap up, I suppose. Is this just the start of your gaming journey? Will you go on to other games or is it really just Zelda is the one? Um, well, I, I can't play it again. Uh, I genuinely have a period of mourning. Uh, I, I actually haven't kind of touched the Switch because I don't know what to do. Um, and I feel really sad. And I've just watched the trailer for Breath of the Wild 2 uh, many many times now <laughs> um and i would i would love some recommendations uh and so email ghibli at little.studios.com uh if you want to tell me what games i should be playing uh, i have been kindly gifted super mario odyssey by our audio wizard jamie Mazner, and uh, as i understand it Odyssey and Zelda are the two greatest Switch games. So I think I'm starting pretty well after taking my two decade absence out of the video game industry. Oh, I, th- I yeah, I, I love Odyssey. I think I, I prefer it to Breath of the Wild because maybe at heart I'm more of a Mario fan than a Zelda fan, or maybe I just, I find it interesting what you say about putting 160 odd hours into a game and then having a period of mourning where you can't imagine playing it again. Whereas for me, the best Zelda games may be epic, but Link to the Past is a game I've played maybe seven or eight times on different platforms over the years. It's a game you can pick up and start playing, and before you know it, you're already quite deep into it. Whereas Breath of the Wild is of such an epic scope that the reason why I've not completed it is because I got to however many hours I sunk into it and then maybe put it down. Maybe Ivo was born, and then I didn't play any games for six months. And... I was overwhelmed when I got back to it. And I think that Mario Odyssey manages to deliver that in a different way. But Steph, have you moved on to any other games? Uh, Well, I would also like to bat for Mario Odyssey, which is great. I actually started playing it before I picked up Breath of the Wild. Um, And then I am kind of carrying on with it at the moment to fill the hole that... Zelda has left um 
Yeah, I mean, you can dress up Mario as you can dress up Link. Very exciting. <laughs> um, and I think it does have that kind of, the same thing as Breath of the Wild, where everywhere you look, you will find something. Like, there's just so much to find and discover. Like, it's so much fun. Um, but I think I kind of want to, yeah, try playing some more games that maybe take a little bit of time to learn and get used to but then that kind of payoff of having that long playing time is really rewarding um I've heard that Fire Emblem is a really rewarding game um so I'll see yeah depending on whether I buy it or not whether I have another hundred hours to spare so I think you've had more than enough time to gush about Breath of the Wild there, uh, Steph and Jake. But I guess if anyone has any thoughts about Breath of the Wild or video games or whether they'd want us to do more video games episodes, I don't know. They can let us know at Ghibliotech on Twitter or at the email address ghibli at little.studios.com. The mailbag is open. And you can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael J. Leader. You can follow Steph on Twitter at underscore Steph Watts. And you can follow Jake on Twitter at Jake H. Cunningham. Ghibliotech is a Little Dot Studios production. Our music is made by Anthony Ng, our artwork is by Sophie Moe, and Jamie Maisner is our audio wizard. The show is produced by Michael Leader, Jake Cunningham, Steph Watts and Harold McShiel. Thanks for sticking through the credits. Now, our little nugget this week is to do with Robin Williams. Robin Williams was a massive fan of Zelda and anime and actually named his daughter Zelda after the series. And if you play Breath of the Wild and head to the Foothill Stable, you might spot a character called Dato. And if you take a closer look at him, he might look familiar because apparently this is a character reference to Robin Williams. Now, you can look it up online or go and play the game and make your mind up for yourself. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. <laughs>